0: The Janice Daniels Show. Janice Daniels Show. Repeat after me America is a republic, and there's nothing democratic about the Democrat Party. Let's get our words right, people. She's tough. What part of Shall Not Infringe don't you legislators understand? Read the Constitution, read the Bill of Rights, read the stupid so called laws that you guys sign your names to. Your focus is shameful. She's smart. And besides, what have you legislators done that gives you power over us? Trick the people into electing you? Swearing an oath that you don't seem to understand or follow? She's tenacious. I say bring the Electoral College to the county level for all national elections so Michigan isn't governed by sanctuary jurisdictions like Wayne and Washtenaw counties. She's sassy. Michigan has a big problem. We have too many people who exhibit seditious behavior in elected office and that needs to change. I'm hoping against hope. We can change the change. Let's talk about some of this stuff on the Janice Daniels Show. This could be fun. And now, your host, Janice Daniels. As a public service to my audience, this is a public service to my audience. I just checked my MediaIndia.net world death clock this afternoon, and I see that as of August 1st, 2020, at 1 p.m., there were 32 million 860,451 people who have died around the world so far in the year 2020. I thought you should know this because we seem to have a government media obsession with death that's being shoved down our esophaguses. Or is that esophagi? I don't know. But right now that's what's happening. Our government and our media is shoving down this obsession with death. I want you all to remember that Around 56 million people die every single year. So now we just ended the seventh month of this year. So the 32,860,451 people divided by seven multiplied by 12 equals 56,332,201.72 people will have died by the end of the year 2020. So we're right on track to meet the average. Now, watching this world death clock is really almost as difficult as watching the U.S. debt clock. You know, how much money do we owe people? Because they both have these like constantly increasing numbers. So the second that you announce your number, it changes. And I I say that the, um, the world death clock is almost as difficult as watching the U.S. debt clock. Because there are 38 numbers on the U.S. debt clock that are constantly changing. It's almost enough to give you a heart attack, which would then take you off the U.S. debt clock and put you on the world death clock. I'm so stressed out. But I do want to offer my condolences to the families of the 6,392.7 people who will die during this broadcast hour. Because remember, 6,392 people die every hour of every day of every year of our lives. I'm I'm just not sure how I'm going to manage the stress. I'll just have to talk to Dr. Fauci to see if Dr. Fauci can give me any foushist advice. Or is that fascist advice? Probably the same. But, you know, you do remember that old saying that's kind of attributed to Mark Twain, lies, damn lies, and statistics? Well, I just so happened to stumble upon an article this week on townhall.com, entitled Coronavirus, Lies, Damn Lies, and Statistics. This article was written by a man named Jeff Crowyer. It was posted on April 12, 2020. And the basic premise of his article is that the coronavirus mortality rates are being bolstered. And that was admitted to by the CDC. It says in the article, if a definitive diagnosis of coronavirus cannot be made, but it is suspected or likely, then it's acceptable to report the coronavirus on a death certificate as probable or presumed. And we've also heard that they'll give you more money for the hospital to, to note that a, a coronavirus death has occurred. So it just, it's just such a tangled web they weave when they decide to control the world by weaponizing death itself. Now, another thing that's being weaponized in the year 2020 is truth itself, and one good example of that is that I still contend that we haven't proven anything by wearing these enslavement masks except that we've given a hint to the enemies of freedom that we've become a nation of pliable and reliable, useful idiots, with all due respect to everybody, including me. Do we really have any way of Really, ever proving that this one in a million virus behaved any differently than it would have behaved if we had never allowed our double edged sword of public functionaries and mediaites to strip us of our freedom by all of us acquiescing to strapping this enslavement cloth over our noses and mouths every time we walk out the door? Do we really have any way of proving? that anything different would have happened. Well, I contend that we actually do have a way. We can resist. We can remove the masks. We can take to the streets. We can start chanting, breathing fresh air matters. Breathing fresh air matters. We can paint our sayings on sidewalks across the country. You know, like restore liberty or vote biblically or act like you have a spine or there's more of us than them. Anything you want to say, just paint it on the street. You know, take a butt whipping for liberty. Speaking of butt whippings, it seems that whenever one of the barnacles on the underbelly of the Leviathan luxury liner known as the USA government passes into eternity from either side of the boat, no matter what they did in total during their entire lifetime on earth, we the people have to listen ad nauseum to all of the remaining barnacles praising their dearly beloved barnacle buddies, as if they were patron saints of the sea or something, some kind of heroes or something. You know what? There are real heroes in this country, plenty of them. There are military men, there are men of law enforcement, and there are dedicated patriots all across this country, plenty of them, business owners, mechanics, factory workers, bricklayers, farmers, truckers, estate planners, grocery store baggers, street sweepers, teachers and preachers, all who do not like this communist soft coup that's sweeping this nation, but we have yet to figure out a way to use tactics and techniques to restore our American Republic. They certainly do have their tactics and techniques down pat that are being effectively used by the enemies of our American Republic to destroy our American Republic. We have to learn techniques ourselves and we better learn them pretty fast because breathing fresh air matters. Did you even know that there are patron saints of the sea? I didn't either because I'm not a Catholic, but the power of the internet comes to the rescue once again. I found a website called Vatican.va that has a little article about patron saints of the sea, and it says under the title of Stella Maris, the Virgin Mary is recognized in all of the maritime world as the patron saint Of the apostleship of the sea. It goes on to say that there are many other saints who are widely recognized as patron saints of maritime people. For example, St. Peter, St. Andrew, they were both fishermen. So that's enough of that. You get my point. So now, most recently, St. John Lewis passed into eternity. It was just last month, July 17th, 2020 that St. John Lewis passed into the merciful but vengeful hands of God for his final determination. Meanwhile, here on earth, we had to endure the 24-7 adulation of the latest public functionary turned saint. Now, there's a couple of things I want to bring about, bring out to your attention that the horrible, false-faced cyborg sea hag of a speaker of our U.S. House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi, had to say about St. John Lewis. First of all, I actually heard her on the radio call him sacred, but I couldn't find any reference to that uh, statement in the in the complicit media. Even they seem to have some red line of ridiculousness that they refuse to cross. I don't know. Couldn't find anything on the Internet that supported that stupid staten- statement that she made. But I did find a YouTube interview where Nancy Pelosi said that St. John Lewis spoke of all of us as having a bit of divinity in us. Now, of course, that wouldn't apply to our president, Donald J. Trump, who's working tirelessly to dismantle that ship of fools known as the USA government luxury liner. And personally, I think that President Trump is doing a yeoman's job of it notwithstanding the relentless attacks that we all know represent the true nature of the evil of big government. Now, St. John Lewis said that, and I quote, Trump would not be his president and that he, St. John, would not afford him, President Trump, any of the respect that comes with the office. Now, that's divine, isn't it? I really hope that God was listening when St. John Lewis had those nasty words to say about a man who won the 2016 election with a true Republican conservative wave across this country that showed that Trump has had won anywhere from 84 to 98% of the counties in this country. Now the percentage is vague. 84 to 98 percent, there's quite a range there, but it's hard to pin down because evil media doesn't want the American public to know how widespread the support for President Trump really was and really is. That's really why I believe it is really so important for us to bring the Electoral College to the county level so that our representative government truly represents the vast majority of people across this land, not just the special groups with special needs and special wants that that seem to hoard themselves into urban centers, and then they vote whether they have the right to do so or not. It was a week before Donald Trump was sworn into office that St. John Lewis said in an interview with NBC's Meet the Press, quote, I don't see this president-elect as a legitimate president. I think the Russians participated in helping this man get elected, and they have destroyed the candidacy of Hillary Clinton, end quote. So, you know, still to this day, illegitimate American haters in this country are still trumpeting and no pun intended that Russia hoax narrative, even though it has been proven without a shadow of a doubt that it was the lovers of big government, the Democrats who colluded with Russia to try to steal the election for Hillary Clinton, for Hillary Clinton, not for Donald Trump. And, and quite frankly, I'm really of the opinion that the Democrats really don't still believe that Trump was helped by Russia to steal that election. They're more interested in creating a diversionary narrative to keep weaponizing the truth so it isn't disseminated into the consciousness of the vast majority of American voters who have been trained to vote for that shiny zinc penny or that wooden nickel of propagandized puppets instead of the gold and silver of true citizen statesmen. And so the truth about the treasonous and traitorous behavior of the Obama fake news administration and the fact that they, the Democrats, Failed to steal the election even after colluding with Russia and China and CARE and Hamas remains forever hidden in plain sight. That's why they keep up all these hoaxes and lies against President Trump. They're trying to divert attention away from their own real crimes. And it was really, it really was another David versus Goliath moment that won the election of 2016 for our beloved president, Donald J. Trump. I thank God for that. Remember, people, our Goliath is global, but our God is the greatest. And, uh, you know, I I always want to say, with any respect that might be due the dead, but with all respect due for the truth, I want to spend a little time this afternoon looking at the actual life of St. John Lewis, outside of that spaghetti noodle, stuck-on-the-wall issue of race. You know, I talk about the fact that the tactics of the government media corrupt collusion might best be uh, represented by the analogy of throwing a handful of issues like cooked spaghetti at the wall. And the issue noodles that stick to the wall are what we the people are hounded with day and night, week after week, month after month, until that issue noodle just how somehow happens to fall off the wall. But then they throw a new handful of cooked spaghetti noodle issues and start all over again. And I contend that the issue noodle that has stuck on the wall the longest is the one that we call race. And now it seems that the second issue noodle that seems determined to stick on the wall is the coronavirus. So anyway, with that context in place, in a nutshell, what did St. John Lewis do in his lifetime? Well, there's no doubt he took a couple of serious butt whippings back in the 60s. And that was 59 years ago, back in the day when we actually valued a civil society with ordered liberty more than we valued civil rights with licentious anarchy in the streets. I'm just saying. But those serious butt weapons propelled St. John Lewis into becoming a 33 year long barnacle where he earned, at last count, about $170,000 a year. And, and, and I just wondered to do what? To do what? Well, as early as 1964, St. John Lewis, who was then the chairman of a group called the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, was listed as a sponsor of the National Committee to Abolish the House Un-American Activities Committee. Remember those guys? They were in the House of Representatives. They wanted to root out the communists in Hollywood and in the media. Well, St. John would have none of that rooting out because, in fact, by 1965, St. John Lewis was getting published, was getting his his work published in a paper owned by the Communist Party USA called Freedom Ways. Now, I'm quoting from Trevor Loudon's research webpage called keywiki.org. You, you should bookmark that page because you can look up all kinds of information on all the commie players if that's your calling. So now Trevor Loudon wrote, and I quote, Lewis wrote in 1965 Freedom Ways article, Paul Robeson, Robeson, Inspirer of Youth. That was his title of his article. Paul Robeson, Inspirer of Youth. And that was about the famous actor and singer who had been a member of the Communist Party USA and an admirer of Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin. So John Lewis, St. John Lewis went on to say, he talked and listened to the representatives of the Communist Party. In many ways, St. John Lewis wrote, we of the... SNCC, that's the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, are Paul Robeson's spiritual children. So St. John Lewis was a spiritual child of Paul Robeson, who was an admirer of Joseph Stalin. And St. John Lewis's communist affiliations continued to this day. Most recently expressed by a letter that he wrote in 2008 congratulating CARE, which is the alleged soft gloved arm of the terrorist group Hamas. Now, I want to know why none of our law enforcement community ever vets these people who spend their lives aiding and abetting the true enemies of America and who attach themselves like barnacles on a boat and vote in favor of the most anti-liberty bills in existence today. I want to take a look at a couple of the bills that St. John Lewis voted for, but first I want to remind you of a couple of things. We're talking about the American taxpayers having given this man anywhere up to about a half a million dollars over his 33 year long career when he was docked on the island of plenty off the coast of incredulity while we thought he was protecting and defending our God given rights secured by our Constitution. Are we nuts? Don't answer. That's a rhetorical question. Anyway, whether it was by the point of a gun called man's law, or it was simply the goodness of the American people of all colors, there was a time, and it wasn't so long ago, when it seemed that maybe, just maybe, we as a nation were getting beyond the big divide of where God placed us on the color wheel of life that we had nothing at all to do with. Now, the people on the light side of the color wheel have been badgered and beaten up morally and saturated with the narrative that we were singularly responsible for the plight of the people on the darker side of the color wheel of life who are never attached any responsibility for their own plight, even though throughout history, individual members of a multitude of colors have forged their way into history for both good and bad behaviors. There is a natural hierarchy of success and failure that spins that color wheel of life and stops by the will of God. Some lose a turn, some win big, and some go bankrupt. None of us have anything to do with where we end up on the color wheel of life and where we end up in life's success wheel. I'm responsible for my own success or failure, as are each and every one of you. And I'm tired of it always being white America's fault. Even though we elected a mixed race man who calls himself a black man who had zero life experience that would give him the requisite ability to lead the free world. A man named Barack Hussein Obama, even when we elected this Marxist-Islamist communist, that's my humble opinion, as president, it wasn't good enough because nothing could save the American Republic from the forces of evil that had by 2007 infiltrated our institutions of education, entertainment, news, and government because of actions like the abolishment of the House of Un-American Activities Committee. And it's just by the grace of God that we even have a will of a wisp of a chance of restoring liberty in our lifetimes. Now, after I calm down a little bit, I want to review some of those bills that St. John Lewis voted for most recently. In December of 2019, St. John Lewis voted in favor of House Resolution 5038, called the Farm Workforce Modernization Act that would have set up a new status called Certified Agricultural Workers that would have, according to conservativereview.com, this is where I'm getting my information about these bills, it would have made millions of illegal aliens indentured servants without securing the border then give them amnesty. That was a 228-page bill, so I didn't read it, and I doubt that St. John Lewis read it either. We've got Gary from Hazel Park on the line.
1: Good afternoon, Gary. Hey, Janice. Um, your monologue has been absolutely spot on uh, this afternoon. St. John Lewis has been a reprobate uh, all his career, and I'm very glad and, and happy to hear that you are not drinking the Kool-Aid and going on with this uh, this diatribe of how great a man he was. and as, Sure, he had his, his moments, but they were few and far between. And uh, you've actually made my day. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you so much, Carrie. I appreciate that. I, I really felt all week long that somebody had to give a little bit different perspective. I don't disparage the dead. But you know what? I disparage the people who are trying to destroy my country. By the way, this House Resolution 5038 called the Farm Workforce Modernization Act was also voted on in favor of by Debbie Dingell. Dan Kildee, Andy Levin, Elissa Slotkin, Haley Stevens, and Rashida Tlaib. Now, I would bet you money that not a one of them read that bill before they voted for it, because they didn't need to. They're working in lockstep. They know what they want to do. And before that, in July of 2019, St. John and a number of those people I mentioned voted in favor of the so-called Equality Act, which, of course has nothing to do with the true meaning of the word equality. It's, of course, one of the Democrats' top priorities because the Democrats want to amend the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to equate sexual orientation and gender identity with race and sex under anti-discrimination laws. You know, there's been a sea change of motives of our government that has taken place over the last hundred years that needs to be addressed. We know who our true heroes are. And I pray that God blesses the men of the military and the men of law enforcement who have always stood tall and brave and and in defense of an ordered liberty and a civil society. And those are the foundational principles of this great land that God has loaned to us for safekeeping. I say never give up, never give in. It's always darkest before the dawn. We're going to talk in the second half hour of the Janice Daniels Show with a bright light of a lady named Linda Wildern who's going to tell us all we need to know about another con game. It's called the Convention of States. Stay with us.
1: The Janice Daniels Show,
0: Janice Daniels Show,
1: on Wham! Talk 1600 and 92.7 FM.
0: Well, now in the first half hour of the um, August 1st episode of the Janice Daniels Show, we explored the weaponization of death and truth and words and the ways and means of the barnacles in the underbelly of the federal leviathan luxury liner called the usa government if you weren't able to listen if you're just tuning in if you can't find the janice daniels show podcast please send an email to me at radio janice at protonmail.com radio janice at protonmail.com and I'll be happy to help you find a way to listen to past episodes of the Janice Daniels show. Anyway, in this half hour we're going to explore a state level issue that keeps bubbling up in the in the in the cauldron of corruption. It's called the convention of states. I've invited the chairperson of Michigan Conservative Union, Mrs. Linda Wildren, who's dedicated her patriotic activism to this issue for a number of years now, so we can get the straight scoop on this very dangerous issue of opening up our Constitution in these radical revolutionary times in our American history. Linda Wildren, welcome to the Janice Daniels Show.
1: Thank you, Janice, and thank you for inviting me. I feel very honored to be with you today.
0: Oh, the honor's all mine, Linda. Thank you so much. Um, let's get right into this because we've got a lot of stuff to discuss. Um, first of all, why did the founders even add an Article 5 to our Constitution?
1: That's a great question, and everybody should know this. The convention method was addic- added to Article 5 as a compromise. Um, The reason was that Madison and Hamilton wanted a chance to give people the opportunity to make the Constitution better. They knew that it was the first chance to write something, and they knew that it was going to need some extra help. Now, it was a compromise because Mason insisted that article five convention as it's being proposed to change the constitution be put in there because he basically hated the constitution and wanted to do another convention right away to get rid of our current one. So it was added as a compromise and the, um, to enable the states to make amendments to the constitution in order to rein in the abuse of power of federal government. That's interesting. I was kind of thinking
0: that maybe it was written right away so that the founders could add the Bill of Rights, which are the first 10 amendments to the Constitution. And those first 10 amendments um, are, are unique in that they, to me, they define and defend the rights of the people. All the other amendments, I guess there's 27 of them, from 11 through 27, they seem to expand the rights of government to control the people,
1: Well, I would agree with you on that. I don't think, I don't know what they were thinking back then, but I just do know in all the readings that uh, Madison was very concerned that we have a great constitution, but they always believed in the limited government. Government is giving only a few rights, but you would never know it when you watch what happens today in government they are overstepping their bounds both at the state level and at the national level. Government is there to protect the people according to the constitution but not to govern everything that we do.
0: Boy, that's a fact. And you know this this convention of states issue that again keeps bubbling up to the surface of this cauldron of corruption um um they, they the people that support this idea keep telling us that we need a way to rein in the federal government. Um but in actuality that's exactly what the Fed the, the US Constitution does if they just read it
1: and follow it. <laughs> Yes, it is a very sad story that our Constitution already does exactly what they are advocating. We need a convention for that would spend millions of dollars to have without any control so that the Constitution already limits the power of the government. They just need to read it, respect it, understand it and implement.
0: Yeah, you stop stop adding all this extra constitutional stuff that we don't need. But you know, another thing that they keep saying is that the States are going to be able to bypass Congress in this amendment process. Is that true?
1: That is not true. Um, The only power granted to the state legislators in this process is to ask Congress to call a convention. And then if they're lucky, they are all they've all been told a bill of goods that they will get to ratify any proposals or or any amendments um that are made that is not true i will tell you why if if the globalists if if, the, if people take over, once you get to the convention of states and the delegates are elected, they can choose to make it a closed-door session, as it was back when we had an Article 5 convention before. And nobody knows what's going on. Those delegates are not responsible to the state anymore. They're only responsible to the government. So they can change the rules any way they want. So it may be that the states don't get to ratify whatever is decided. And that is part of the sales job with the Convention of States people telling the states that they will be in control and they'll get to ratify any changes that are made. That is not true.
0: Now now can this Article five convention be limited to one topic or a set of topics? I mean that's another a fallacy that they keep bringing forward to us in hopes that we're going to agree to this.
1: Um, It cannot be limited. Um, Is your question, can it be limited to one topic that you're asking? Yeah. No, it can't. Once the delegates become the representatives of the people, they're not answerable to the state, as I mentioned before. They're, they're, um, they're mere creatures of the federal constitution. The delegates will have the power to eliminate the federal and state governments if they want, and if this article 5 is being old no they have to stick to the topics no they don't because our declaration of independence recognizes that we are a people of with self evident rights to throw off the form of government and set up a new one we can't stop delegates from exercising their self evident rights and it is about new institutions that have been written Of various degrees. George Soros has a Marxist constitution. We have the Constitution for New States of America. New States for American Constitution talks about any ratification is gonna be a national referendum. It it's it's going to be decided to approve it, not by the states, but by a national referendum, which actually eliminates state power. In that particular constitution, it says states. You no longer have any rights. We're going to decide everything. So, some of the things that, that our legislators are being told when they vote for this, there's no clue about this because this has never, ever been done before.
0: Well, earlier you said when we did an Article 5 convention before. Um, but we haven't really had an Article 5 convention. I know they've been trying to get one decade after decade after decade, but for some, you know, the grace of God, the people don't allow it to happen.
1: That's correct. Um, more than 600 times Article 5 petition has failed. And um, at least the Supreme Court, the United States Supreme Court, has declared Linda, you're kind of breaking up.
0: If you could get into a better cell and stay put. Oh, I'm sorry here, about here? that.
1: Yes. Um, I, um, it's about 600 times the Article 5 petition has failed. And uh, on three occasions, the United States Supreme Court declined uh, that a convention of states could be limited. Um, So, um, people are not wanting it. The thing that we're concerned about at this point is there have been many applications made for different topics, for instance, a balanced budget. Um, So, we don't know how the Congress is going to count these different applications. In other words, if one of the things that all the applications say is term limits, so, if I just apply for my state, if we pass a a topic that we want term limits, and that's why we want an Article Five Convention, are they going to start counting? Are they are they counting that as a convention of state approval? So, um, and that leads me to the phony uh, the phony telephone. Um, uh, or and you're breaking up again, petitions. Linda. You're breaking up again. My goodness. I don't, I think it had a lot to do with weather, with where I am, and I'm so sorry.
0: Well, so, it's probably the um, NSA doesn't want us to talk about this. Or maybe the Convention of States people don't want us to talk about this. Um, but you're saying that, uh, I, I believe you're referring to the fact that there have been so called petitions around the country to, 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 to Um, garner or to um, assess the support of the people to this Article 5 convention.
1: Yes, and I can give you facts about Michigan phony calls. For instance, Janice, if you were called and asked, what best describes your opinion of whether Michigan could join other states in calling for a convention to propose constitutional amendments that limit federal power? Wouldn't we like that? Well, 45% were in favor in Michigan and 24% opposed. Well, the problem is the topics that they are pulling on are all great topics. They are not pulling on the process. The process of Article 5 convention is not necessary. It's dangerous, even though the issues that they present are good issues.
0: Of course, that's the way they always do it. and and and, you know, if they're polling an American um, electorate that is ill informed, I mean, that's just like just like i I saw a um, Senate hearing that um, that Ma- Mark Meckler attended back in September of 2018, and he actually gave the best reason why we should never open up our Constitution at this point in time for any reason at all. He said, most of you in your legislature, I hear it all the time across the country, lament the fact that the American public does not pay enough attention to the Constitution. They are not educated well in civics, and they are not educated in the Constitution itself, and that is exactly why we don't need a convention of
1: states. That's correct. And he has certainly changed to a different color. I, he was at the Senate hearing with me a month ago, and he is part of the machine that is selling false assurances for convention of states. And many of the things he says, this, this is not a battle between Republicans and Democrats conservatives or liberals. This is a fight between globalists and those of of us who want to maintain our existing constitution and national sovereignty.
0: I agree with you. You were mentioning different constitutions that have already been written and are in the weeds waiting for this constitutional convention to give them the authority or the ability to completely change our constitution. But you were breaking up at that time. Could you list a couple of the names of those constitutions that are sitting there just waiting? Yes, I
1: certainly can. We have um, the Constitution Constitution for new states of America, and um, that is a a constitution that would eliminate um, uh, uh, it, what we currently have. We also have um, it would ratify into a national referendum. We have the Soros. Um, Constitution and there have already been five states that have applied for that, if you can imagine it. Um we Can I guess have- which ones? <laughs> Can you hear me okay?
0: Yeah, I just I was throwing in a joke. Uh, You said there were five states that um, ratified George Soros's constitution, and I said, could I guess which ones? You know, New York.
1: Of course, we know it's a Marxist constitution. We have the North American Union um, that would like us to set up a the new state constitution sets up a dictatorship. And um, and that, like I said before, is a national referendum. So these constitutions have already been written. And actually, a good comparison, Janice, would be when we look at the unrest in our country right now, the mess that we have and the things people are demanding, that is exactly what would be going on with our Constitution, Article 5 Convention. Um, if we... I think a good example to clarify would be when when we had the um, we had new amendments added, like Amendment 16, income tax. We had direct vote for senators under Amendment 17. We had 18 for prohibition. Are those good amendments? I don't know. But no, if we were so. to have amendments, I'm not sure we would have free speech. I don't think we have it right now. What would happen to the? Um, to uh, our our right to worship, what would happen? Look at what's going on right now with our right to worship. What would happen with uh, bearing arms? Look at the different amendments and the Constitution rights we have right now that could change if we ended up with an Article Five convention.
0: Yeah. Now, there's also a bill that's recently wending its way through the legislative halls, and that has to do with uh, it, it, it's, its purpose was to prevent businesses from being allowed to vaccinate, to force their employees to be vaccinated. Now, yeah. that, that became yes, an issue
1: a- as well. Yeah, this is a great example of how things don't happen properly. That was House Bill seventy two, and I'm a total supporter of the author of this bill. And she submitted this bill. 102 of our representatives voted for it. Two voted against it. It is a is two pages and a half. Paragraph three, when I read through it, Michigan Conservative Union discovered that paragraph three violates... Our Constitution, our Michigan Constitution, and not one of our representatives must have read it. They liked the title of we will not allow employers to microchip their employees. Well, paragraph three said, but you can take your employee to court and make them be microchipped. So it, like, cancels out the bill. Did anybody read that bill? I don't know. But when I worked with the author of The Bill That Pass, she immediately worked with the Senate to get um, Representative Horn as the representative uh, of this committee, and she immediately wanted to correct it because we believe in that concept, but nobody read the bill to see that it wasn't constitutional. So she fixed it. Representative Horn has fixed it. And we're ready to go to the Senate to vote on it because it is a good bill. But that's what's going on when people are making law now. They don't understand. And these are good people. These are good people that want to do right for the most part. But they don't use our Constitution the way it was written to be used. It's a sad situation.
0: Well, Linda, you're much more diplomatic uh, than I am because um, good people stand on principle and good people don't sign their names to bills that they haven't read. And we're talking about a two and a half page bill, not a 228 page bill that they all consistently vote for. I don't think good people would sit back and collect their salary every week and not tell the people What kind of mischief is going on in our legislature that could allow a two-page bill to somehow have a paragraph inserted in it probably just as it was being printed off and sent to the people to sign. I mean, did they read one version and it didn't have that particular clause that gave the courts the authority to demand that a business uh, puts a microchip in their employee uh, for a vaccination? Uh, uh, Did they not read it? Was it there? Did your representative put it in there? Who put that clause in there and why didn't anybody see it?
1: Yes, yes, it's a terrible thing. I, we are paying legislators for doing not doing their job, and that, that is a disturbance to me. I will also point out, as it relates to Article 5 convention, we need a lot longer time, but there are many people, brilliant men, who have weighed in on how dangerous an Article 5 convention is. And the only reason many legislators are supporting it is because the Convention of States people, Mark Meckler, is feeding them a mile-long story that isn't correct. But I do want to at least point out, one of my favorite people, Justice Scalia, said on April 17, 2014, in a video, so it is recorded, I certainly would not want a constitutional convention. I mean, whoa who knows what would come out of it? and she that ask yourself is it possible that James Madison Alexander Hamilton Chief Justice J. Justice Goldberg Chief Justice Berger and myself understood something about the powers of delegates to an Article 5 convention which the pro-convention lobby and sponsors haven't grasped yet Well, I think that's what we've got going on with the Article 5 Convention. People aren't understanding. They're listening to what's being sold to them and believing it, just like the title of that bill that we just mentioned for two and a half pages. It's it's unbelievable.
0: Yeah, it is, and I know that the Michigan Conservative Union has, for a number of years, been battling this issue with our state legislature uh, members who are being—I um, uh, don't know—strong-armed, or or uh, maybe they're being um, uh, paid gratitudes, gratuities, or whatever. But you're absolutely right. I'm looking right now at a at a letter written by Justice Chief Berger. on June 27, 1988. It says there is no effective way to limit or muzzle the actions of a constitutional convention. The convention could make its own rules and set its own agenda. Congress may try to limit the convention to one amendment or to one issue, but there is no way to assure that the convention would obey. After a convention is convened, it will be too late to stop the convention if we don't like the agenda. So these letters have been given to our public Functionaries. I call them public functionaries because actually these people are elected to office to do a particular function that is clearly delineated in the Constitution. Of course, now our constitutions, uh, yes, at the state level have been mangled so much that again, when the original constitutions were written, they were written to inform the government what they could only do. And All these changes that they make when they make amendments to the Constitution, they add and expand what the government can do to the people, not for the people. And why don't our state legislators see these bolded letters with paragraphs that are underlined? We send this stuff to them over and over and over again, and somehow this thing keeps marching forward.
1: I, I, you said it all, and I agree with you. And I do want to s- just make a comment right now. If if our activists want to do something that would be very beneficial to helping, to to vote this down, I want to give them a quick information. One, this is a joint bill. It's called SJRL because it's a joint. Senate and Representative Bill, because the Government Affairs Committee just voted, that was the hearing that I testified at, they voted to send it to the floor of the Senate. So it could come up for votes this week. It did not come up last week. Let me tell you that Senator McGregor is in charge of making, he's the floor person who makes up the Senate agenda. Everybody needs to contact Peter McGregor and say no to the bill. And Mike Shirky is in charge of the Senate as well as the government affairs. And they need to call those representatives and say no. Linda, thank you so much.
0: And the show has ended. Remember, spread the word. It's Wham! Out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I'm Janice Daniels.